verses 1 through 19. So if you have your Bibles, please meet me in Genesis 22. The text reads like this. It says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you loved, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw, that, saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. Or come again to you. And Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he, took in his hand, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father! And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now before we... I opened my sermon last Sunday night with a quote from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And as I thought about how best to open this sermon tonight, it struck me 
that the story of his call to the ministry would be a, a great help to us and for us. And so Martin Lloyd-Jones was born in 1899 in South Wales, moved to London at the age of 15 and went on to study medicine at St. Bartholomew's. And while he was studying there, his talents and his abilities became so well known that Sir Thomas Horder, who was the personal physician to King George V, hired him as his assistant before his exam results had even been published. That's how confident he was in his abilities. And in time, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones came to own his own private practice on Harley Street in London. Only the cream of London society could have a, a doctor on Harley Street. But soon after he was converted to Jesus Christ, he began to feel convicted about his work as a doctor because it dawned on him that so many of the problems that his patients would come to him with were really just the result of, of sin, overeating, over-drinking, over-whatever else. And so it dawned on him, here I am helping these people to get well only to go back to their sin all over again. And so in time, this burden began to grow, not to be a doctor of men's bodies, but instead to be a doctor of men's souls. And there was one night in particular where he came out of an opera house, having watched this opera with his wife, Bethan, and just over the way, he could see a small Salvation Army band and one preacher stood on a little platform preaching the gospel. And I'm paraphrasing now, but the thought came into his mind, those are my people. And I have more in common with them than I do all the social elites that I was just in the opera house with. And so the time came for him to leave medicine and leave London for Wales and for the pulpit. And God honored that sacrifice greatly. Such that so many people were converted in, in Sandfields in Wales that he and his wife Bethan would sometimes spend hours taking wheelbarrows full of gin bottles or whiskey bottles and just dumping them somewhere for the number of alcoholics who came to Christ through his preaching of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Great good is often done through sacrifice. We come to the story tonight that was perhaps one of the first to be etched on your minds if you were raised in a Christian home. It's the test of Abraham. And we're going to see tonight that God saves through sacrifice. God saves through sacrifice. And we're reminded of our salvation through the sacrifice of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And as we're reminded of his sacrifice on behalf of sinners, the hope is that our hearts would be filled with thankfulness, filled with gratitude for our salvation on account of his sacrifice for us. And that all of our tests in our lives, all of our daily and weekly and monthly and annual tests that the Lord has for us would all be put into perspective in view of his sacrifice for us. But not only that, perhaps God would be pleased to save you tonight through this simple explanation of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Because God still saves through the sacrifice of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how God saved me. That's how God saved you if you're here tonight and you're a believer. And that's how God goes on saving lost souls from an eternity separated from the blessing of God's presence and in the torment of hell itself. God saves through sacrifice. And tonight we're going to see, number one, the the sacrifice requested. Number two, the substitute provided. And thirdly, and lastly, the promises reconfirmed. So number one, the sacrifice requested. Look at verses 1 to 8 of Genesis 22. Again, Moses, our author, writes for us, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on, his, on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. Now, from a human perspective, this looks like an unreasonable test if ever there was one. Abraham has already said goodbye to one son. Remember, he placed bread and water on Hagar's shoulder and he sent her away with Ishmael And here he is now placing wood on Isaac's back on the way to his sacrifice. And not only that, but ten chapters separate God's promise of offspring with the fulfillment of offspring. A span of 25 years in in real time. So 25 years, Abraham waited for God's promise to be fulfilled. And then God says to him, Only in the next chapter over, kill him. Kill the son. But from a heavenly perspective, this does make sense. 
It's been four months since we've been in uh, the book of Genesis on a Sunday night, if you can believe that. But this does make sense, as we've seen, because since chapter 12, God has been calling Abraham to trust him with the impossible. Remember, all the way back in chapter 12, Abram was living in Ur of the Chaldeans, and God said to him, Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And every time Abraham believed God, there was blessing. And every time Abraham took matters into his own hands, because of his doubt, there was disaster. So that now, all these 25 years later, after all of the trial and error, it really does look like Abraham is finally at a place where he is able to trust God with his tests. Why do I say that? Because because God commands Isaac to be sacrificed. And then the first word in verse three is so. So Abraham rose early in the morning. Not but Abraham said, by no means, Lord. But instead, immediate obedience. So that we're told in verse five and in Hebrews chapter 11 as well, that Abraham even expected to receive Isaac back from the dead after he had sacrificed him on the place where God had called him. Friend, every test in your life requires faith in the character of God. Every test in your life requires faith in the character of God. And I know that some of you want me to just hurry up and press the fast forward button on this sermon and just get to Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's the sacrifice in place of Isaac, in place of us. And believe me when I say we're going to get to that place. But let's just take this one step at a time. Every test in your life requires faith in God's character. You see, Abraham had been walking with God long enough to be able to say to himself, I don't get this, but I know that God is good. And therefore, this is right. I can't explain it. I don't understand it. But I know who is testing me. And therefore, I know this is good. And and don't forget, friends, the original readers, the recipients of the book of Genesis. Who were they? They were the wilderness wanderers. And they were called to believe God in all of their tests. They were called to believe that God could could provide their food, their drink, everything they needed. Egypt was behind them. Canaan was before them. They had no idea how they were going to get there. And they had to simply trust that God would lead them and provide for them. And the call in their test was to believe the character of God as it is in all of the tests in our lives. And God is calling some of you to trust him amid tests and trials, even tonight. He's calling some of you to be content with what you have despite the economy at the moment. God is testing others of you to put God first, despite all of the unsaved 
family members who makes life so hard and difficult for you. He's calling you to stay married to the person that you're married to, even if perhaps you could go back in time and choose to do things a little bit differently. He's calling others of you to stand out for Christ Jesus at work, even though that's going to be a great challenge and calling you to stop being a chameleon and instead to be a disciple. And the only way to pass those tests And a thousand others like them is for you to remember who sent the test your way. A good God. George Mueller said this. He said, God delights to increase the faith of his children. We ought, instead of wanting no trials before victory, no exercise for patience, to be willing to take them from God's hands as a means. I say and say it deliberately, trials are obstacles, difficulties, and sometimes defeats are the very food of faith. We should take them out of God's hands as evidences of his love and care for us in developing more and more of that faith which he is seeking to strengthen in us. And how can we know that God's character is good? Well, we can know that God's character is good because he is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we can know that our God is good. Christ Jesus is the radiance of his glory and the exact imprint of his nature. And therefore, if Jesus is good, the Father is good. If Jesus is loving, the Father is loving. If Jesus is merciful, the Father is merciful. And so if you want to boost your confidence in the character of God as you face all of the dangers, toils, and and snares, and all of the trials and tests of faith that come your way, look to Jesus Christ. What did the Apostle John say? He said, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's right hand. He has made him known. He has exegeted him. He has exposed him. He has revealed him to us and is one with Christ. Would the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John ever bring a test into your life that was meant for evil? No, only for good. Why? Because he's good and God is good. We see second, the substitute provided. Look at verse 9. Where Moses writes, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. In Isaac's place, 
was the ram. In our place was the lamb. The lamb of God. God saved Isaac, the promised son, by having a ram die in his place. God saved us by having his promised son die in our place. The ram died so that Abraham's son, his only son whom he loved, could go free. God's son, God's only son whom he loved, died that we might go free. And Isaac carried the wood on his back which, on which he was to die but was spared. Jesus carried the cross on which he was to die that we might be spared. God saves through sacrifice. And we have here amazingly the concept of substitution. The ram died instead of Isaac. The lamb of God died instead of us. We have here the location of substitution. Mount Moriah was almost certainly where the temple in Jerusalem was built in the very vicinity of Calvary. And we have here the substitute himself. Because the angel or the messenger of the Lord is spoken interchangeably with Yahweh himself. And there's a good reason to believe that the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so the concept, the place of substitution, and the substitute himself are all here. And this is how God saves through sacrifice today. Christ offered himself once to save all who draw near to God through him. You see, a substitute is needed. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What is sin? One preacher helps us. He says, sin is the glory of God not honored. The holiness of God not reverenced. The greatness of God not admired. The power of God not praised. The truth of God not sought. The wisdom of God not esteemed. The beauty of God not treasured. The goodness of God not savored. The faithfulness of God not trusted. The promises of God not relied upon. The commandments of God not obeyed. The justice of God not respected, the wrath of God not feared, the grace of God not cherished, the presence of God not prized, and the person of God not loved. That is sin. And since God is just in his condemnation of us, a substitute is needed to stand in our place or we are all goners. Without a savior, God's wrath hangs over our heads like the flaming sword of the cherubim, barring access into the very paradise of God. And the judge of all the earth will do what is right because he is a good judge. I read this past week that there was a judge called Manuel Barra. Baraza in the U.S. and in 2008 he was scheduled to to sentence a, a woman who'd been brought on uh, drug charges, uh, but her sister and this woman, due to stand in court, met with the judge to bribe him, and they were actually successful in bribing him. The FBI were aware 
of this judge, and so they placed a wire on one of the sisters, and they managed to obtain five separate recordings of him agreeing to this bribe. And so obviously he was arrested, convicted, convicted, and lost his position for life. Well, friends, God is a perfect God who cannot be bribed, and he will do what is right. And yet, God designed a way to uphold his justice and forgive guilty sinners. He placed all of our sin on his son's shoulders. And his son went out bearing a cross of wood. And on that cross, the justice of God fell like meteors on his head. And he was ground to powder and crushed to death that we might be raised to life. Jesus bore the penalty of the just wrath of God that we might experience and receive the blessing of God and the very forgiveness of sin. So if you're here tonight and you're not yet a believer, what will it be for you tonight? Will it be grace or will it be judgment? Will it be mercy or will it be justice? Will it be love or will it be wrath? Will it be heaven or will it be hell? Do not procrastinate. Do not hesitate a moment more. Instead, run to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and receive cleansing and forgiveness and justification and adoption and a place in heaven. Receive it all freely because of what Christ endured in the stead of guilty sinners there at Calvary. And to you Christians, to you believers who have already done that, enduring tests of faith right now, what are you to do? You're to do exactly the same. Run to the cross of Calvary because again, there is the character of God made plain and revealed. The one who sent the test your way is the one who sent his son to the cross. Will he damn you? Will he crush you? No, because he has already damned and crushed his son in your place. And there's a song that I want to teach us in time. And, then, and the ver- one of the verses says this, Christ the sure and steady anchor through the floods of unbelief. Hopeless somehow, oh my soul, now lift your eyes to Calvary. This my ballast of assurance. See his love forever proved. I will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed. And not only then the person of Christ, but the work of Christ, as well as the great assurance to believers, fighting and wrestling and struggling through tests of faith, and yet upward we can look to Calvary and see the one who sent the trial our way as the good God who sent forgiveness our way in Christ. Well, lastly, we see the promises reconfirmed. Look at verse 15. It says, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because 
You have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. So because Abraham believed the Lord, as was seen through his obedience, the Lord reaffirmed, reconfirmed his promises to Abraham. He said, I will bless you by multiplying your descendants as numerous as the stars in the heavens and as numerous as the sand that is on the seashore. All ethnic Jews, all ethnic Gentiles who have Abraham's faith are included among the stars and the grains of sand on the seashore. And then came another promise. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And Paul tells us who that offspring was and is. Galatians 3.16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say unto his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring who is Christ. And so in other words, if you want to be included in the number of the stars in the heavens and the grains of sand on the seashore, then look to the one through whom this blessing comes, the offspring, this singular offspring of the Lord Jesus Christ who blesses the nations and blesses all who look to him in saving faith. And for you who have done that but are still facing these great tests, friends, can I say you can rejoice in these tests Because his blessing is still yours. The blessing isn't only ours in the good times. The blessing is ours all of the time. Because we are in Christ. We are in the offspring promised here in Genesis 22. You are blessed. You have been adopted into the family of God. God is your father. And Jesus is your older brother, your prophet, priest, king, Lord, and God. The Holy Spirit is your helper, and righteousness is yours, and grace is yours, and assurance is yours, and heaven is yours, and there is no test that can do anything about the blessing that is yours if you are in Christ, because Christ is yours and you are his. And friends, that's all that matters. From beginning to end, rejoice then always in trials and testing, blessing and bounty, good times and bad. Because the promises made to Abraham have found their way to you here tonight. You know, there was a town in Austria a few hundred years ago that found itself surrounded by 18,000 of Napoleon's soldiers and they the council the town council agreed among themselves we're just going to surrender give ourselves over to the French and then a minister came to the town council and he just reminded them all by the way uh, today's Easter Sunday why don't we just worship and why don't we leave the trouble to God and so they rang the bell and they gathered and assembled with such joy in view of the fact that it was Easter Sunday, that the French assumed that the Austrian army was coming. And so they scattered. They legged it 
assuming they were in danger and could not see the army that was plowing towards them. So before the church had stopped ringing the bell, the army had gone, well, friends, we can rejoice in trials, out of trials, in season, out of season, because everything promised to Abraham belongs to us in Jesus Christ. And the temptation is always to focus, isn't it, on the promises that haven't been given, the promises that we're still waiting for, the the perfect health, the the tears that are wiped away, the the sighing that will be no more, the, the city that can't be shaken, and we forget all about the promises that we have right here and right now. Friends, there is still a bell for us to ring because these blessings are ours in Christ. Amen. 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 May God bless us.